we want to talk about Christ's resurrection victory. Um, it's, um, it's an amazing victory. And uh, the Bible says that the early church, the disciples, went everywhere preaching the resurrection. That, that was a big deal. Can you imagine? First time in human history something happened and you, uh, we are a mom about it? No. It was a big deal. And it still is for me. It still is for you. In um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, um, I think we're going to start a little bit. Let me give you a little recap in verse 12. It says, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? You know, now, now straight up, Christians sometimes, because they get caught up in the things, will contradict what God said in his word. I've seen that, and, and, and I'm shocked by it. They don't intentionally do it, but they get caught up into the cycle of craziness. Paul, because here in Corinth, people are saying there's no resurrection of the dead. Then they're worshiping a resurrected man. That's how subtle these things are. He says, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, what is it? Then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also, say it with me, empty. Come on, say it like you mean it, empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead do not rise. So what Paul is saying is that we have been lying, walking around lying, if that is the case. We are an unreliable witness. He says, because we have said something that it was not accurate, not true. Verse 16 says, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. For your safety, for your safety, my safety, we continue to drive home the unchangeable truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We want to drive that home. It is the most minimized victory in the universe. Paul goes on to say in in reference to verse 16, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. Verse 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become, not only is he risen, but has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, when he says he is, he is the first fruits, we know because we understand first fruits, we know that there is a huge crop of people just like Jesus coming. And you and I are part of that huge crop of resurrected people. You see, there's is appointed unto man once to die, and, and after that, death has no more authority. It, death has no more power. So he says, it is appointed unto man once to die, but after that, the judgment. Now, this is what Paul wants us to understand, is that you and I are going to go through this, this phase, but we are going to be just like Jesus. We will have a bodily resurrection. And this is what he is talking about. This is big stuff. This is huge. And he says, so Christ is the first of those who have fallen asleep. So that Jesus Christ has preeminence, the highest rank in everything, and everything Jesus has. So you and I have done well by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. We're not just placing our wishing in Jesus Christ. We placed our hope in Jesus Christ. And when we say our hope in Jesus Christ, it's not like we Americans use hope. You know, you say, well, you're going to come to my birthday party? Well, I hope so. You know, no. But our hope is more certain than that. Our hope is a, 
a firm expectation that God keeps his word. Yeah. And that's what we do. So, so Paul goes on to say in verse 21, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. So Paul wants us to understand that what, what God did, what, uh, did uh, in Jesus Christ is irreversible. Adam, the first man, he is the first federal head, as you would say. He is the, the first man who was over a huge company of people, all of mankind. And uh, by, by that man, Adam, um, came death. For since by man came death, by man, Adam, the first Adam. Now the last Adam, by man, also came the resurrection uh, from the dead or of the dead. And so what uh, Paul wants us to understand, what God wants us to understand, is that Jesus has undone what, he, what Adam did. Jesus has made, made death powerless. And you, this is big for us. So that means that you and I can live a victorious life without worrying about what's going to happen when. You know, we don't have to worry about that. We know. We know. You say, well, I, I hope no. You know, yeah, hope is in I know it's the, the truth, but not I wish. I, I'm, I'm still wondering. No, we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so it gives me confidence while I live. It gives me confidence that I can do whatever God tells me, and everything is going to be all right. And so he tells us that in verse 22, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. And some people stumble over that. The universalists stumble over that. And all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, in his own rank, shall be made alive. Christ the firstfruits, afterward, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Those who are Christ at his coming explains, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. So all shall be made alive if they are in Christ that is coming. Not everybody who, who is on the face of the planet. Those who are in Christ, he's explaining it. You know, my wife is a reading instructor, was for many, many years, and um, a reading teacher, excellent reading teacher. She always said she, she had to teach people how to read not only the line, but between the line. And a lot of times, uh, you know, you know men, mankind uh, doesn't seem to know how to read between the line. And so th there is a, a word that's on the line, and then there's a meaning between those lines. Are you still with me? And so here, uh, Paul explains, those who are Christ at his coming, rather, explains, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. So you don't just take all shall be made alive to mean some kind of, of uh, worldwide salvation, whether you want Jesus or not. That would be a terrible thing to make people go to heaven who didn't want to go. It would make heaven hell for us. At his coming speaks of the end of the age. So Paul is seeming, uh, uh, seems to sum up several events rather than enumerate them one by one. Just because he doesn't take time in every message to enumerate everything doesn't mean that he's left it out now. Are you with me? I mean, every time I come up here, I don't quote every scripture in the Bible, but they're still all true. Paul then tells us that, that when Christ comes, in verse 24, he says, Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. So Paul in verse 24 uh, is, is showing us 
then comes the end. But Paul is not saying that's the end of my preaching and teaching. Are you with me? So he, he tells us that when Christ comes, then the end, the end comes, but not, not immediately. Let's look, let's look at this. For he must reign. So he's still talking to us. He's still preaching to us. Uh, when I was a boy, we used to have a saying, and I don't hear it much anymore. Uh, it said, don't get the, uh, the cow by the tail. All right? Don't, 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 don't get what's at the end up where you, uh, uh, as though you're going to lead something. If you're going to lead the cow to water, you don't take the tail. Look, look, look here. He says, he must reign. He told us, then comes the end. He said, well, that's the end of it. When Jesus comes, that's it. No. For he must reign. He must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And so what Jesus is doing, he's coming. And then you and I will reign with Jesus. That is an expectation that we have, that you and I will reign with Jesus. And so all of these things that you and I are going through, we're going through uh, as an educational process. God is educating us. He is showing us how diabolical people can be. Yeah. And so, so he says, well, what we, he's going to do, Jesus is going to reign, and he's going to have a thousand years of reign, of reigning, of ruling on this earth. Now notice, for he must reign till he, put, he has put all enemies under his where? feet. And uh, you and I are the body of Christ, and so that means that all these wrong things will be subject to Christ, and they'll be subject to the body of Christ to us as well. We are part of his ruling and reigning company. Now, I'm not lusting to rule or reign. That's not something that, that we are doing. Well, I just can't wait to be in charge. You can be in charge of yourself right now in a sense. You know, you don't have to wait. Deal with those thoughts of yours. Now, then he goes on to tell us that Jesus is going to reign. What Paul wants us to understand is, is who Jesus is, what he's done, and then our place there. Verse 26 says, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. And so he wants us to understand that, that he's, here he is personifying death as like a person. So all of the enemies are, will be subdued, and death is the last enemy that will be subdued. Paul gives us very, very important information. We call it pertinent information. Uh, when he says the last enemy uh, that will be destroyed is death. Now, the last enemy is death. When Jesus comes and begins his reign, his millennial reign, death will not be destroyed immediately. But in that time, if somebody were to die in the millennial at 100 years old, they'll say he's but a child. So, death will not be destroyed at that moment, but will be greatly incapacitated. When Jesus comes, death will be greatly incapacitated. So, so that, that is the presence of Jesus. Remember when um, Lazarus died in Bethany? And uh, in John chapter 11 records that when Jesus came from where he was uh, hiding and uh, hiding out. It's sort of like a place where he went for rest that a few of his disciples knew where it was. It's sort of what we would call a hideout sort of where people don't, everybody doesn't know. And Mary and Martha, of course, knew where he was. They sent uh, a messenger to tell him that Lazarus was very sick. And uh, when he got there, Lazarus had been dead four days, which means Lazarus had died right away. And the, Jesus told Martha 
and Mary that when Mary said, Lord, if you had been here, uh, my, our brother wouldn't have died. And my brother would not have died if you had been here. That's, that's very telling. And so what we want to do is live our lives knowing that with Jesus present, even right now, death has no authority. Absolutely not. And that's why the Bible, the New Testament calls death for the saint of God, the believer, sleep. So Mary said, Martha says he wouldn't have died. Mary says he wouldn't have died. And Jesus showing them who he is, who he is in the very present, the eternal now, says to, at the grave, hey, Lazarus, come out. New King James says, come forth. King James says, come forth. ESV says, come out. And I'd like both of them are accurate, but come out is even a, more accurate. And that is, I live my life now knowing that one can come out from among the dead. That's a big, big deal. That's strong. That's powerful. That Lazarus came out from among the dead. So so your, your body one day will come out. Were Jesus to come in the next whatever uh, period of time and your body has gone to sleep in the earth and your spirit has gone to be with Jesus, when you, Jesus is going to bring your spirit person with him and you're going to be alive and, and aware of things, you're going to come and your body is going to come out of the, the ground out from among. And other dead folks who didn't know Jesus are going to stay there. Their bodies are going to stay there to the, to the great white throne judgment. But you're going to come out and join your spirit and be forever changed. So Paul is correcting the church at Corinth because the church at Corinth got things all messed up. I believe that God is raising up right now that two to three hundred young shepherds that we saw many years ago, he's raising them up right now. And many of them are in this particular place, CCCF. Many of them are here. He's raising up the, these, these young shepherds to take the truth of God to an errant generation. This generation that we're living in now is just kind of nutty. Have you noticed that? I hope it's not bad for me to say, speak the truth like that in stark terms, but it's really nutty. I, I hear people, churchgoers, not Christians, churchgoers just quoting all the crazy stuff out there. Am I the only one who heard that? I'm not even on Facebook, and I heard it. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. This is what... Paul goes on, or the writer of Hebrews, rather, I'm, I'm almost always saying Paul, Paul, but it, it's not conclusive that Paul wrote it. Sounds like him, but it's not conclusive. Um, but the book of Hebrews, uh, Paul goes on to explain, you know, this process that God has, has uh, instituted for you and me. God has done something for us, as I often say, cannot be undone. I love the work of God. Don't you love the work of God? See, Jesus can undo, but what he does can't be undone. See, for this purpose was the Son of God made manifest that he might undo the works of the devil. But what Jesus works can't be undone. Your salvation is totally secure. I said your salvation is totally secure. When you, when you are in Christ, you are in, buddy. <laughs> you can't be taken out. Because to be taken out would be a big problem. 
but you can't be taken out. You're in, you're in. Thank you, Jesus. Because to take you out would be, would say God made a mistake. God doesn't make mistakes, somebody said over there. He says, so Paul, Paul or the writer, rather, the writer says, inasmuch as, as, inasmuch then as the children have you, me, partaking of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. So Jesus shared in the same. That through, now why? It was intentional. Everything that God does is intentional. He says that through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And what he, he didn't, as it were, kill the devil, you know, but what he did was he took away his power. He stripped him of his armor. He took away his, as it were, sword. He took away all of his weapons. Paul tells us in, in Colossians that he disarmed the, the, the devil. He disarmed him. He disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them openly, triumphing over them in the cross. Isn't that amazing that here you are, an instrument of death, the cross is an instrument of death, and Jesus is hanging on it at his very weakest, as it were, because of death. He's at his very weakest, and he is more formidable at his weakest moment than the devil is at the zenith of his strength. That's who you serve. That's who I serve. And that's why I love saying, no weapon formed against you can prosper. There are other scriptures in the Bible, too. And then look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. So, uh, these are also two of my favorite, favorite, favorite scriptures, but I don't always quote them like I do to some of the others. For 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, it says, God, I, I say God because I want to get you that understanding, who has saved us, past tense, has saved us. Anybody here, you sometimes, you know, because of your performance, you feel like, oh, I don't know if I'm saved. Now, now sometimes that's a good thing to, to ask, a question to ask, you know, if you're just real out there. But I think almost all of us who, who, uh, who have been saved have, a, have asked that question, I, Lord, am I saved? I just had a crazy thought. Am I saved? I, oh, I, oh, I felt like ramming my car into that, that crazy man. Am I saved? I'm not saying you all going that far. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. But he has saved us, past tense, and called us, past tense, has, with a holy calling, not according to our works. Thank you, God. But according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us, in Christ Jesus before time began. He gave it to you in Christ Jesus before time began. So the purposes of God for you were a reality in Christ Jesus before the earth was created. Amen. That's why I want you to know that nothing the enemy conjures up is going to be ultimately successful against you. He gave this to you in Christ before time began, but has now revealed. But now these things have been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, 
who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He abolished death. So when Jesus broke through death on that early first resurrection Sunday morning, he abolished death for all who trust him. And he brought life and immortality to light. Now, what he means by abolished death, he didn't so, as it were, annihilate death, but he took all of the venom out of death. He took all the, the, as it were, the sting out of death. He took the ability of death to hold you. He took it from it. As it were, it's like he broke death's arms. So death can't wrap around you. And he brought life and immortality to light into clear focus. And he presently shares that light and life through the preaching of the gospel. So you and I have understanding and we have information. We have a reality that others don't have. And so don't beat yourself up trying to get somebody to understand everlasting life. They're temporary. Don't say, oh, I, I tried to get them. No, you have to you preach the gospel and you, you allow the Holy Spirit to work because the Holy Spirit will work on them. You can't. Our, for our understanding of God and what he has done for us comes from Christ's victory over sin and death through the resurrection. Our understanding of God and what he has done for us comes from Christ's victory over sin and death through his resurrection. Never forget, he died on that cross. Never forget that. This is your victory. He died on that cross. He was dead. He was buried. He rose from the dead. He was seen. Know that. And as you walk through this life, no matter what goes on, you are already a victor. You're already a victor. Amen. Amen. In Revelation 20, 14, it says, death and Hades this tell, tells us what's happening in the future. You know, I know there are people who don't believe that, that spiritual gifts are for the church today. And, and some of them are my friends. They just believe that there's just not, nothing. We don't need any spiritual gifts. It's totally wrong. But this, this, is, this is a spiritual gift in Revelation 20, 14. It says, then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. John saw it in his vision. This is the second death. So, so John saw in the future that one day death is not just going to have broken arms. It's going to be in the lake of fire, it, it forever and ever gone. Nobody will ever die again from that, from that juncture onward forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Nobody will ever die again. And this, this helps me today as I walk through life. Revelation 21, 4 says, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Somebody's hurting today, but God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Paul tells us, it's amazing scriptures, Paul tells us 
The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. And verse 27 says, for, how is this possible? For God the Father has done something. He has put all things under his feet, under Christ's feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. So the Father is not under his feet. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him that God may be all in all. What an amazing scripture. That we're going to live to see God being all and in all.